0: Welcome to Shofo Cape Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Colors because of the, of the brightness or perhaps the light that has the most influence on it. So with the same cloth that he had, there are places if you take him because of the influence of a light, you might give a colored warrior's war, just because of the influence of the lights that's there. So, the light is very powerful, and perhaps your eyes, the, the status of your eyes can also have an influence in terms of how you see and how you perceive. Like, I know that this is, this, I can call it a pulpit, it's a pulpit because I'm seeing, and there is a certain level of perception. Like, I know that while well, those are chairs, oh, that is sekofato, this is... Tenashe, oh, this is blazing. this is tapiwa. Because my eyes have an ability to capture information which causes me to have some kind of level of perception, and from there I know that this is terofato, and it even affects what I would say to her. But if I come to terofato and say, Oh, Jamie, how's it going? You probably say, Well, mm, maybe you forgot her name, or he's getting confused. All right? So the information that I capture because of my eyes, because of what I'm seeing affects what I'm seeing. Or perhaps the angle. You might be in this, maybe the car, car is waiting. Maybe you're waiting for a friend, driving from Claymont coming to Rondebosch. And because of the place where you stand, you can't really see the, maybe the, the plate number. And therefore, you assume this is this car. You're so convinced this is the car. But then when the car arrived so close, they realized uh, this wasn't actually the car. Hello, whose text is that? What's up? <laughs> or oh, sometimes it could be a psychological thing where you are in a certain space. It's like you are in a room. Maybe you've had bad experience. Maybe you were in a house where there was voices. Like I remember... The and now it's closer to where I grew up, where people used to hear voices in the kitchen, even when nobody's there. So now that causes fear, all right? Now because of the fear, you might be in a place where certain things are happening. You think, you're so convinced that what's happening there is because of A, B, C, D, but you don't realize actually, actually it's your fears that have given you a filter through which you use actually reading whatever is happening there. Do you know how many times we treat people actually, not because of who they are, because of what we believe and the filters and the the lenses we have from our experiences. No, this person has said this. "Mm, I'm 100% sure he said this because of this. But what you don't realize is that you are so 100% convinced because of your optical illusion. That's why We must always be careful with our assumptions because sometimes you can be so convinced what you think is the thing, but it's not. It's not. How many times we find ourselves in situations in our lives where we are so convinced that this is the thing? This is the thing. But the reality is, you might be sick in your mind, you might be sick emotionally, you might be broken. And your brokenness is causing you to actually be convinced about this thing or perhaps to feed yourself with certain information or a certain ideology. And you're so convinced this is the actual thing, but it's not. Sometimes you can even confuse a dream and you believe this is God. This is God speaking to me. This is God speaking to me. It's not maybe God. Maybe it's just your emotions. Maybe it's such the, the influences of the space in which you find yourself. So all of these things can truly affect the way we see. Remember, there was a man that Jesus prayed for. He was a blind man. When he, Jesus prayed for him, touched him for the first time. Jesus asked him, do you see? The guy said, I'm seeing people as trees. And Jesus prayed again for him. But that was more of a physical issue. That the guy couldn't see well because he was blind physically. All right. So now, let's go to, to the text. Before I even speak about the text, I'm going to speak about the author of the text, Asaph. Asaph was a very influential leader in the taint of David. If you read in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, there is so much information around him. But I've just written a few things about him. The guy who wrote this psalm. Actually, he wrote basically, according to a lot of people, commentaries, theologians. Well, don't take it as absolute truth, but according to them. They're saying that, well, he might have written 12 psalms. Psalm 50 and all the psalms from Psalm 23 up to Psalm 83. He was a descendant of Geshem, son of Levi, Nominated by the, by the chief Levite as a leading singer. He was one of the people who played the instrument when David was going back to Jerusalem. When he was picking up the ark from uh, Obed-Edom. He was one of the guys that were playing the cymbals. And he also David made him one of the leaders in his tents. In the tent of David there was two other guys. And he was also uh, perceived as a seer. So, and in, in his, his name basically means a collector the one who collects. So he was a prophetic leader, and even his sons, you'll find actually in Psalms as well, there are songs written by his sons. They were also a family that were very involved in worship, and God used him mightily to write some of the prophetic songs in, in the context of the Taint of David. So he was a very influential man. He was a spiritual man. The bottom line is we are dealing with a man that was spiritual. A man that had a relationship with God. A man that served God. So in this in, in today's days, we may consider him as a worship leader. Or I don't know. In some churches, yes, people used words like such as a worship pastor. Or there is so many lingos. So he was a man involved in the house of God. He was a man that knew the things of God. He came from a line that was called by God. Alright? So now let's go to the text. This is now the spiritual man. Let's go to the actual... From the first slide, you can just go to the actual... Um, you will notice one thing. there is so many verses. From verse 1 up to verse 15. There is a certain pattern or a certain language that you find in Asaph. This is what he's saying. He's starting by saying, well... Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet are almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Slipped, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death; their bodies are far as sleek. I just want to pause there by saying, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. And how much you know of the word, we can all slip, we can all even stumble. As much as you know the word, as much as your spirit filled, we can all we can all fall. It is possible. The only reason we can't fall or we don't fall because of his grace. In Jude, the scripture says, to the one who can keep us from stumbling. No one here can follow Christ in his own strength. No one. So, I just wanted to say that. So, let's go back to the previous slide again. It said, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Next one. They are not in trouble as others are. Almost like in the first verse, if I would say it in a very African way, I'd be like, okay. Let's get back to the first slide. First slide. To be like, okay, I know that God is good, oh, I know that. And it's very good to those who have a pure heart. I know that God takes care of them. But the reality is, what I'm seeing confuses me. Because the people that are arrogant are prospering. I'm seeing the wicked one prospering. In your context, it might be that some of the students who sleep around, they do anything... They go and do whatever crazy things. They don't struggle with depression. They don't struggle with their assignment. They don't struggle with any of the things that you're struggling with. And yet, they have no desire for Christ. They're atheists. They do whatever you may consider immoral. But for some reason, they're advancing. And you feel very stuck. Next slide. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the race of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. He's describing these people. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with foolishness. They scoff and speak with malice. This is the nature of these people. Lovely, they threaten oppression. Next slide. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, "How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, there—these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I—oh, in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence." For all day long, I have been stricken, rebuked every morning. This is the prophet speaking. This is the man that wrote prophetic songs. This is the man that wrote Psalm 50. This is the man that wrote Psalms that you read. This is, this is, what it, this is the man speaking. Right? Very interesting, eh? Here's the thing. Asaph was facing a reality. He was seeing life in a certain way. He was seeing the prosperity of the wicked and his own pain and his own suffering was a reality to him. And that affected, in some kind of way, his own perception. Of life, or perhaps his own emotions. I'm not making an absolute assumption saying he was judging God. I don't know if he was just having a, a lament kind of moment or if he was just having a prayer. What I'm just saying is, you can, as you read this text, you can see that the realities, the prosperity of the wicked was very real to his, to his eyes. This is the first principle. That I'm saying. First principle is as long as your focus remains on people or on the things that you do, on the circumstances, you will always see the glory of these things. Or you will see how powerful these things are. It's like Goliath. Everyone knew Goliath as the strongest man. Therefore, everyone was afraid. As long as your pain, your challenges, and everything, your circumstances remain the greatest reality on your side, you will always see the power of your reality. And even if you're a man of faith, you might run in a danger of being in a space where you'll almost be having a spiritual optical illusion. Because that becomes a real thing. Because that becomes very, very real to you. It's like when you have a disease. When your disease becomes the only thing, you will be caught up in it. You might even become a slave to it. Because it is more present to you than even God is present to you. But now, Remember, these realities are like lights, like lights in a, in, a, in, a, in a pub or in a nightclub. When the light comes on this top, it gives a certain color, depending on the, color, on the lights that are being used there. Everyone may assume that, well, this jacket is yellow, or perhaps it has a certain color, and they're so convinced that this is it. But that conviction is based on the lights that came upon that jacket. So, your circumstances, your realities may be like a light that has come upon you through which you might read, you might be reading your life and make assumptions. And sometimes we're so stuck there that you're so convinced because it's something that you're living. But again, it all depends on what is the light that is dominating your space. But now let's go to verse 15. The spirit rocks in the wilderness gave them drink abundantly as far as deep. But when I thought how I understand this, it seems to me a weariness task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their hand. And you know what? You know what happens? When, when you encounter God... That's the moment when you learn how to value everything in life. It's like in class, sometimes you can be like, like in high school, sometimes you have an A student, the most intelligent guy in the class, until another intelligent guy comes. Then you realize, hmm, we thought this was the deal, but there were actually some other deals that were not discovered yet. You know what I mean? you might be in a group of friends where you're always seen as the sharpest person until another sharp person comes and challenges your view and corrects you and realign your thoughts and you run out of argument. Then you realize, okay. Everybody realizes, oh, okay. We thought this was the real deal. What I'm trying to say is until God becomes clear, it is very easy. You might Every other thing may appear big. Your perception of what is that which is great and powerful and great and big and and whatever it is changes the moment you encounter God. And that changes when the Word of God takes place in you. Because when you receive the Word of God, the Word of God is the light. When you start reading, Your moment, your life, through the light of his word, it makes it clear. You will truly know how to place each thing on its right place. In some of the kingdoms in the old days, people worshipped kings. But some of the guys who knew God, even when their lives were in danger, they did not worship other gods. Because they knew this true God. One of the ways to experience freedom, you know, it's like if you want to know a currency, if you want to know a true rand from a fake one, you don't have to spend a lot of time with a fake one. You just need to get <laughs> to to get. You just need to get the true rand that was printed through the bank. It will make it easy for you to actually know a fake one. You don't have to spend so many so many times with a fake hundred to get you know what is the actually true hundred so when he enters the, whole, the, the the sanctuary his perception of the wicked changed says <laughs> Until I went to a sanctuary, then I discerned their hand. He actually knew, he became aware of their finality. <laughs> truly, as truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. Next, next verse How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terror. If you look at the first 15 verses, his language around the wicked was aligned in a specific way. Why? The dominating light through which he was seeing life, he was reading life. Perhaps even his position throughout the those circumstances. Or perhaps his mind. Or perhaps his eyes. He said, oh, they are destroyed in a moment. Served away utterly by terrors. Like a dream, one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. This is the man that spoke of the prosperity of the wicked. This is the man that started speaking such as, well, am I keeping my heart pure, in vain? Because he was beholding the prosperity of the wicked. It's very interesting, Psalm one can just read that here. In Psalm 1, verse 1 up to verse 6, um, I love what this, that psalm says in terms of what comes when you dwell in the Word of God. It says, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the ways of the sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers the wicked are not so. It's very interesting when you read in this text he says blessed is the man who actually delights in the law of the Lord which can be replaced with the word of God and that who meditates day and night. It's actually funny I've I've heard from a theologian he said in that culture that when they speak about meditation it's not like the way we perceive it in the West today um, where it's just like you just a mental exercise, but he said, according to him, I don't know it might be true or not, but he said they, they had to kind of repeat whatever they were reading. In the process of the meditation there was a sense of repeating the things they read. Repeating the things were, they were and it was in that kind of process they were, they were basically becoming whatever they said. Blessed is the man who... Do The word of God, when it comes as the light, it gives you a balance. It gives you clarity in terms of the nature of choices you can make. Do you know how many choices, do you know how many confusion we found ourselves in? Because light hasn't come. We're busy. Busy. Just busy because you are waving an optical illusion. True light hasn't come. Many people live in fear in their own rooms just because they haven't switched on the light. But in this context, the light is the word of God. We may all go through things in life. We will go through things in life. But the key is, what will be the most dominating light that will determine the color of your life? Or perhaps what you see. Is it that what you're really seeing, the truth? Are you truly seeing what things the way God sees them? Or perhaps is your eye. You see, we can all be here, but not everyone sees the work of God. Everyone has natural eyes. But not everyone is able to recognize what God is doing. When Jesus came to his own people who studied the law day and night, they knew, some of them memorized this thing. But when he came, some of them, they couldn't see what God was busy doing. Some of them were the the Pharisees. In fact, they were the first guys to go and accuse Christ. They were in confusion because they couldn't see. They couldn't see. Now, when Asaph looks at Receives the light of God. right? if he comes in his sanctuary. In the presence of God. He changes the way. His perspective on the wicked changes. When my soul was embedded. When I was pricked up in heart. I was braddish. And ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Next verse. Nevertheless. I continually with you. You hold my right hand. And it rain down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Here's what I'm saying. The first element that affects your, your optical illusion as I mentioned the light. Second one I mentioned was the eyes. And I would speak it in this way. How do you see? When you think, I just want to be practical. I don't want to give some I just want to be practical so that you can take this and apply it in your own personal life. Because sometimes we just end up, the word of God becomes it sits so much in our head that we don't know what to do with it. It's all a lot of lingo that we don't know how to actually apply in your context. When you look at yourself, Chido, or perhaps when God looks at you, what does he see? What is it that is he seeing that you're not seeing? When God comes here in this room, what does he see that we're not seeing? Because if we're not seeing things the way God is seeing, we might be busy. Actually, a busyness caused by our illusion. When God looks at you, Does he see you as this insecure person? Does he see you as this terrible person? What is the person? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? If not, what is the eyes through which you look at yourself? And when you look at others, how do you see them? You might be convinced that this is your enemy. But Christ comes and says, Hey, this is not your enemy. This is your brother. But you're like, Christ, but this person is my enemy. This is my enemy. This person have just gossiped about me last night with three friends. But Christ is saying, you are having an optical illusion. Do you know that I've called that girl to be a voice to the nations? And she just needs to have an encounter with Christ, with me. Will you sit here and mourn? Will you sit here and get busy? Or will you join me in the process of fighting to get her into the sanctuary? Because when she gets there, she will change the way she thinks. Yes, you may be right. The person did something wrong. But what is the light? That is dominating. What is the color that you're seeing? Is it a light such as the one at a nightclub where everything is confused because of different lights? Or is it actually the bright light that will tell you the true colors of the life you're seeing in front of you? Think about yourself. Think about your failures. Think about the people that have disappointed you. Think about your own pain. Think about your own realities. How, what is the light? Has the light of God come upon you to really see the thing the way they are? Because perhaps what you're seeing might not be the truth. You might be just having an optical illusion. Thinking that, like this person thinking this suit is someone. Well, it's not. The whole fear is caused by the fact that you can't see. Elisha said to a man who was so afraid, so afraid of the enemy that came to attack them. Elisha said to him, Don't be afraid because those who are with us, they're even more than, than these enemies that have come. The guy was still panicking. The Bible says he prayed so that God would open his eyes. When God opened his eyes, he saw the armies of And that changes perspective. The guy was having an optical illusion. Because what he was seeing wasn't what God was seeing. Elisha was seeing in God's perspective. This guy, Zacchaeus, I mean, these these were funny people in terms of the kind of business they had. Imagine how many Pharisees made that man. And imagine what came, what went through their mind whenever they made this man. But when Jesus saw him, <laughs> he saw him as the candidate he could save, and even went into his house and said, "Today salvation come, has come into your house." What do you see? I always like the the way God started speaking to Jeremiah in chapter one. First thing that God said to Jeremiah, he "said Jeremiah, what do you see?" Jeremiah says, "Well." I see an almond tree. He said, you've seen well. And then God started speaking to him about what he was going to do with Israel. And how, he's gonna, how he watches over his way to fulfill it. It's very interesting. All I'm just trying to say is, your eyes have the power to affect what you're seeing. You might have had a leader that offended you, that never valued you. You might have had a parent that, never, that didn't value you, that treated you in a certain way. But perhaps what you saw isn't the ultimate truth. But you have to allow Christ to unveil your heart, to unveil your eyes, to see things differently. Or perhaps it might be where you are positioning yourself. Perhaps you're just in the wrong place. Your heart is in the wrong place. And because your heart is in the wrong place, you struggle to see the goodness of God. I have seen people walking away from Christ because they waited for long in terms of the promises they've received from God. I've seen a lady, she was was telling me once, she's, she's in her 40s, single, she was like, Matthew, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've done everything, I've gone through deliverance. Why God is not allowing me to be married? And in my culture, it's a big thing. Singleness, it's like a sin. I tell you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it is almost a sin in my community. It is a problem. I'm telling you, especially for the ladies. It's hectic because it's so funny. You know why I'm saying that? People put pressure on their own kids. Like, well, you're here, you finish your studies, what are you doing here? What are we doing? Are we going to make tea for you again? What are you doing here? You need to go find your own life. And it's bad. It's a bad culture. It's a very bad behavior. It's a very bad way of dealing with your own children. But that's the world. That is the world. And I've seen believers, I'm I'm talking about tongue speaking Christians. young speaking Christians having a problem with God because of some of the unanswered prayers. Maybe some of you, you've received some word that this is the gift that God is going to be using you in. But for some reason, there's nothing. Nothing. But how do you deal with it? I think it's important to recognize where you are emotionally at toward God. There's nothing wrong coming to God and say, God, I'm actually offended. I'm actually... I think you said that thing, through that prophetic word, I don't know if it was you, but I'm not really comfortable with that prophecy. God, I'm actually... It's important to be honest before God. It is important. Sometimes you might be having a psychological issue. Some of the problems in the church are not always spiritual. Sometimes it might be a psychological thing. It might be a psychological thing. It might be that the guy is just sick. (laughs) I've seen some behavior and you're like... Oh my word, do we pray here? Do we do fasting and prayer? Do we preach or what? Now you just realize, well, this is the problem of upbringing. This is an upbringing problem. And there have to be a certain nature of solution to deal with this. But even if, even if you didn't have a good upbringing, the good thing about Christ, you can come to him. You can come to him. Can father you. He can father you and he can restore you. Because there are things that have happened to us, not because of what we wanted. We were just there, sitting in a certain circumstance, in a certain family that you never prayed you were born to be born in. You just rocked up as a baby. BAM! Now you find yourself in this place where people are just wild and violent. It's not your fault, but you know what we can't be masters of what people have done toward us, right? but we can be masters of our reactions to towards whatever people are doing. Someone say that you can't always be in control of what people can do towards you, but you're actually in control of what you, of your reaction towards Towards what people are doing. So I think, coming down to, to, to Asaph, what I'm trying to say to you, Christ said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. He said in John 15, abide in me. If you are not in Christ, or perhaps if you are not in God's presence, you are more busy just in your head and wrestling, or you're busy with ideologies on YouTube, or you are busy with complaining and negative people, it will affect you. Bad companies, the Bible doesn't say, well, if you have bad companies, you can start praying. The Bible says, flee. Because it can affect you. It can affect your prayer time. It can even affect your perspective about God. I have people that don't believe in hell anymore. Don't believe there is such a thing as a hell. Because because of their theological journey past and everything, they've ended up embracing a theology that will suit. There was a man that was very popular in the States. He, he was very huge. I mean, he, he had a massive mega church. And this man had a grandfather who was a pastor. And at some point, his grandfather passed away. But before he passed away, he slept around with some people in the church. Now, it was a very legalistic church. We were like, he went to hell and everything. So now, he grew up feeling, oh, my grandfather went to hell. And that grandfather was precious to him. Now... A lot of his his mother, his grandmother also was a pastor's wife. She also slept around. And it was crazy. But now he started wrestling with the fact that his beloveds were gonna go to hell. And he was a pastor, still preaching and everything. And you know what? He had so much of it in, in his heart, even though he never spoke about it. Today is one of the most Frontline preacher of the theology called the theology of inclusion. Even was part of the project of that movie that was done. The guy pushes for there is no heaven, there is no hell. Basically, there is no hell. The guy embraced a theology that will suit his pain, that will suit his ideology. In other words, your mindset, what's going on in your heart, might have an effect in terms of even the theology you're embracing. Some people, they even read the Bible not for themselves. They want to prove something in life. Don't read the word. Don't come to small groups wanting to prove something. Like, I'm going to use that word. Or I'm going to use a prophetic word. I'm going to use, no. No. Just abide in in God's presence. If you abide in your pain, if you're so stuck in your pain, you might be having an optical illusion. Because what you're seeing is not the thing. It's not the bigger picture. There might be a bigger picture. We may have conflict with one another. But above all, we must not lose the bigger picture. It doesn't mean it will always be easy amongst us. Some people, it's very difficult to live with them. Even if they speak in tongues. It's just difficult to live with them. But, above all, (laughs) blessing. (laughs) But, (laughs) he's my housemate. That's why I I, I use that analogy. (laughs) So, it might be difficult, but, we must not lose the bigger picture. It's so funny that the rate of divorce in church today is very high among Christians. Do you know why? I think one of the reasons, in my opinion, we're so stuck in our battles, in our fight, and everything, and we lose the bigger picture. We lose the bigger picture. We lose the bigger picture and we start mourning. We may be spiritual. We may be like Asaph having everything. Even getting to, you know, this is what happened When you lose sight of what God is doing, you struggle to recognize God in the moment. You become self-focused. And when you become self-focused, you're so close to sin. Because you're going to start, now your flesh becomes so much alive. That you will always try to feed yourself of something. Some people it's a pornography. Some people it's a masturbation. Some people they need to go and get up with someone, or some they need to go and do something, because you're so self-focused. And this happens to everyone. What is the light that have shaped your perception of life? Your perception. It's like some people. They were so offended in relationships that they decided they will never date anymore. I was chatting to a friend of mine, she's a worship leader in a big church here in Cape Town. She said to me, Matthew, I've had enough of Christian guys. I I really, I really, I really want to date unbelievers. This is a worship leader. I'm talking about a uh, worship leader. She's been on missions all over the world, she's been traveling and everything. She said, I have had enough of Christian guys. What's happening there? The problem isn't the Christian guys. The problem is that there have been pain that happened through these Christian guys that have shaped the way she sees the Christian guys. So the problem isn't the people. The problem is how do we remain there? But even if you were hurt, you can bring your pain before God. I love this story of Jesus in Mark 8 when he prayed for this blind man. When he prayed for him for the first time, the guy said, I'm seeing people as trees. You know what Christ did? He prayed for him again. You might have prayed already. You might have experienced the grace of God. But perhaps you like this man that is seeing people as trees. You just need a fresh touch of God on your eyes so that you may be able to see again would you stand with me KG if you can play keys I would like to encourage you just in a few minutes to bring yourself before God just like this blind man that was touched by by Christ This is Christ himself. Laid his hands on his eyes. The guy saw people as trees. The Bible says, Christ touched him again. Then the man say, I can see now, people. And I feel like tonight, God is saying, I'm wanting to touch you again to touch your eyes again so that you can live with hope, a true living hope, a true hope that is not rooted in anything of this world, a true hope that is not rooted in any, any other thing but Him. Or perhaps you may be feeling like even your whole life, You've spent most of your time having this optical illusion. But Christ is wanting to open your eyes so that you can see better. The Bible says we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. Faith is actually walking through the eyes of Christ. Seeing things the way he does. Thinking what he thinks. Because faith comes from hearing. And hearing the word of Christ. Yes, you've heard the sound of your pain. You've heard the sound of your story. of, Of your circumstances. The different voices. And perhaps that have shaped the way you look at life. The way you look at the circumstances. The way you read your own life. But if this, this evening you're wanting to come to Christ and say, Christ, come and shine upon me. Would you come and shine upon me so that I will see life in a different way? Just like the song we often sing as your light is shining. It is shining because we can see it shine. If you know that you just need that enlightenment of Christ, I want to ask you to come forward and I'm going to pray with you. If you know that you've been just struggling with your own perception, perception about your own identity, your perception about your own story, and you know that sometimes it even gets scary just because the light hasn't come. And if you want to receive the light of the Spirit of the living God, I want to encourage you to open your heart to come and we're going to pray and we're going to trust that Christ will come and do the unveiling. That Christ will come and do that which Him alone can do. I want to encourage you to to not harden your heart. To humble yourself before him and allow him to bring the light. It is very easy to pretend. It's very easy to pretend. Someone said, it's one thing to look good, but it's another thing to actually be good. This evening, I believe God has an appointment with each and every one of us. And God has come to tell you that what you're seeing isn't everything. That tonight God is wanting to give you His eyes. Perhaps your fear in the natural has just been caused by this optical illusion. Because you haven't seen the army of heaven that surrounds you. When you are in Christ, you are not qualified to to stay in this space where it's constantly fear and fear. We did not receive a spirit of fear, but we have received a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. I want to encourage you, if you know that you need to come to Christ and allow Him to enlighten you, to enlighten your heart, To enlighten your journey. Open your heart to him. Open your heart to him. We're going to sing this chorus.